Uh, well, good, good morning, everyone. Um, we have a, a, a very good panel that's been assembled by Capital Link for you. Uh, we have Francis Berkland from ABN AMRO Bank, Michael Parker, who's industry head, uh, global shipping and logistics from Citigroup, Evan Ulick from DMB Bank, and Martin Van Tool from DBB Bank. Uh, given that time is limited, I'm just going to jump right into the questions. And our first topic is just going to be the state of the shipping banks. As almost everybody knows, uh, uh, the number of shipping, traditional shipping banks has, has dwindled over the years. And uh, many uh, banks that had stuck it out are now starting to leave uh, because of their legacy losses. Uh, the ban shipping banks that have remained have generally uh, uh, funded their best customers. So uh, I asked the uh, panel, <clears throat> do they view this as a fundamental shift that will result in just a few traditional shipping banks remaining that only fund a, a, a select number of top customers? Or is this just a cyclical reaction to the, the boom-bust nature of shipping? And uh, I want to just run down the line and start with you, Francis, since you're first. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Uh, no, I, I don't think it's, uh, uh, it's a permanent uh, situation. I think it's reflecting the cycle. Uh, indeed, at the bottom of cycles, you see banks uh, getting out, and it takes time to see them coming back. But in fact, I've already spoken to certain banks which did go out some time ago, and they are reconsidering, you know, shouldn't it be the time to get into shipping again? Uh, margins are relatively healthy. Uh, covenants leverage is uh, much lower than what we saw, you know, many years ago. So uh, I, I'm more on the cyclical guy saying, this is just uh, a cyclical, yeah. cyclical response. Yeah. Michael? I, I'm not sure I agree. I mean, I think the difference between this cycle and previous cycles is the fact that bank regulators have taken a great interest in this industry like never before. And so it seems to me the risk is that if the picture that James Frew painted, which I liked because it was a very positive picture. If that came to pass and attracted a lot more banks, it will imply a weakening of credit standards. It will therefore imply potentially, you know, weakening of you know cycle that will come again, and the regulators will be very concerned about that. I think with the pace of consolidation taking place in other sectors, I think the role of the capital markets will become much more important. So the need for other banks to come back into the industry may well be less if you also consider Chinese leasing companies and other forms of capital. So I'm not disagreeing with Francis, but I think there's more doubt this time that we will see other banks coming back in uh, as they did before. Evan? Yeah, I, I might just turn the question around a little bit. The, it, it, the question almost have a negative bias towards the banks, uh, but if you look at the industry over the last uh, decade, uh, you've seen a, a real decline in the overall number of transactions, and the overall number of ships ordered. Um, it's not to say that they're not uh, very good clients out there still uh, uh, running profitable operations and, and seeking good uh, needs from the bank community, but uh, the, the total quantum of maritime uh, capital markets, banking, finance activity has declined on, on a relative basis over these last 10 years. Um, and there is just not enough uh, activity within the industry right now uh, to warrant that much kind of banking activity. Um, I would also say this, when you look out at um, doing a, a tanker deal or a dry bulk deal 
in this market, it, it's very hard to make the break-evens work. Um, you know, the rate environment that we're in right now uh, is, is quite challenging overall. So from just a credit risk perspective, you've, you've got to have a, a bank with uh, certainly uh, a history in the business and an understanding of the risk that you're taking and, and how to uh, finance that risk in a, in a proper way. And Martin? <clears throat> yeah, um, I, think it's, I think it's more cyclical than it is permanent in the end, and, 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 and Michael's comment on the regulatory is, is definitely uh, uh, valid. But there's, there's, there's ultimately a pricing around that, uh, so that, that, that will get factored in uh, in the long run. I've noticed over the years that memories are short, actually. So people, uh, terms are nice again, so you'll see new entrants and, and good deals being done and people catching on to that. And before you know it, it is, it is a, uh, uh, an industry that is you know, bankable again uh, and attractive in terms of returns and, and a lot of banks will return to the space. If you go mid 80s, uh, coming out of that, uh, banks were, offshore uh, back in the days also. Uh, banks vowed never to do it again. I, I joined NIB in the days and they still, they still had a, a drill ship on their balance sheet. Um, and yeah, they, that's all forgotten and people, people got crazy again in, in you know, the 2000s. M memories are short. People move from credit committees. New guys are there who don't have the not the, the, the long-term memories like we have. Memories are short. Do you think that the, uh, just to touch on the, <clears throat> the turnover and the, in the uh, uh, maybe not necessarily the institutional players, but the people that run them, uh, do you think there's a fundamental shift in this uh, part of the cycle in that uh, you now have the banking regulators uh, chasing you? Are, are they gonna give a permanence uh, through these regulations? Or like in many cases, regulations change too. The regulators change, and then people forget, the regulators forget the problem, and they, they're persuaded to reduce the regulation, and, and then you start it all over again. Is that, is that something you think is gonna happen here? Or? No, that will stick. So once, once you have certain capital requirements for, for uh, asset-based financing, that, that will stick. I think, I think it will, will be very hard to reverse that. Consequence of that being that, that you know, price of capital for shipping companies will just be higher. But the more attractive it then is for people to start doing those deals. So there will be, there will be some department at some bank that discovers it and say, listen, why, why are we not doing this? This is attractive business. No, I, I think I agree. The, the regulator, the cycle of the regulator is definitely much, much longer. I mean, the shipping cycles are what, seven years? The regulator maybe every 50 years. So. Uh, I think I agree with Michael's comment. Uh, as such, you know, the regulation is changing the ship finance world uh, almost permanently. I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, agree that the banks uh, will not have the same, won't have a role to play. Uh, but I don't think the tough regulations, which are might come or have come and, and, and are coming, they will not be relaxed anytime soon. Not to go too far off topic, do you, you, are you suggesting that the banking regulations are actually going to become tougher for shipping banks? Or? Definitely. The, the so-called Basel IV so rules of, uh, yep. uh, could, could make it terrible for us, not giving us any value for the security in the mortgage. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Basel IV will kill shipping finance. Yeah. 
Mm. So, and I think we can all live with VAR3. And I think maybe given the direction in this country around uh, the implementation of regulation, <coughs> maybe VAR4 won't come. But, but I think the other reason why the cost of shipping, we, the previous panel was sort of touching on it, the cost of shipping is going to go up through increased regulation. And I think the, um, the question that we wouldn't have had time for would be, you know, at what point will the US Coast Guard and the IMO actually work together? But at that time appears to be getting closer. So it's just going to be more expensive to be in shipping. Now, consolidation will take care of some of that because stronger companies, more creditworthy companies who will have easy access to other markets, they won't need banks for the same long-term financing that historically they have. So it's not that it won't be attractive, um, but I think it will potentially become a more marginal business for some banks um, simply because of the nature of how those bigger companies choose to what capital structure they choose to have. I, I, don't th I don't want to give the audience the impression, though, that there are not going to be opportunities and there are not going to be attractive ways for shipping companies to finance themselves. Uh, far from it. I think shipping is, is quite vibrant and quite resilient in finding new sources of capital. That's probably why we're here today. Uh, I just think that uh, the, the days of having 100% bank capital structure where it's just senior loans from 15 uh, you know, well-known banking institutions, those days are not over, but they're dwindling. And uh, I think more and more you're going to see uh, more varied types of uh, maritime companies' capital structures be put in place to confront uh, this heightened regulatory environment that we're, uh, that we're entering into. And just to touch on something you said, Evan, the, the and Michael touched on consolidation. So <clears throat> what I'm hearing is that the consolidation and the fact that uh, shipping companies are looking into alternative sources of capital cuts down the demand on, on banking uh, for banking loans. Is that kind of behind what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a push and a pull situation, though. Um, you know, I think what you're hearing from the panel is uh, Basel IV, uh, as well as, you know, countries' own internal regulators and banks' internal regulators are putting a big squeeze on the ability for, you know, shipping bank groups to do uh, good business. But at the same time, I think uh, for the maritime industry to professionalize and grow in terms of its corporate governance and, and become uh, more attractive to the investor community, uh, having larger, more consolidated vehicles is actually quite interesting. Um, the one thing we're hearing a lot, you know, from investors these days is having larger companies, larger market caps, more share liquidity uh, to make a more investable uh, vehicle. Um, so I, I think it goes in both directions. Credit rating. A lot of shipping companies don't have a credit rating. So alternative to simple term loan financing is, is not available to people. And, and if, you, if you can get your credit rating solved, that issue solved, you, you open yourself up to, to a lot more possibilities. And, and, and to Evan's argument, indeed, if you, if you are instead of a, a shipping company, a corporate that is active in shipping, then maybe there's a US banking market that just wants to bank you on your balance sheet. It's not, it's not easy, but that's certainly not available today. And, and, and Michael touched on the uh, Chinese uh, 
banks and leasing companies uh, coming into the market. And <clears throat> do you believe that they will continue to come in uh, in, in a big way? Uh, are they going to supplant the traditional, the role of the traditional shipping bank, which usually we think of as in Europe and, and to some extent in the United States? Uh, or are they, are they gonna hit a point where they just uh, will not expand any further? They're, is their focus really on just <clears throat> financing the construction of vessels in Korea and China? New, new builds and whatnot, or are they going to reach out and, and really say, oh, we're going to make a lot of money by lending to these shipping companies? Uh, the leasing companies are not only doing new builds, they're doing secondhand as well. Uh, so clearly they are helping to fill the gap because there is a big gap in terms of active shipping banks. Uh, even if the new regulation is not there yet, we're speaking about Basel IV, but there's a possibility for it. Uh, we are missing a few banks uh, when we try to close larger transactions. And the Chinese leasing companies have provided you know, uh, enormous amounts uh, of funds uh, recently. So, yes, they're, they're bridging the gap. Are they going to be there uh, long-term instead of banks? No, I think they're going to be there long-term in one form or another, but you shouldn't choose between senior bank debt uh, with your rela relationship banker next door and a leasing company who owns your assets right. uh, out of uh, uh, Shanghai. Yeah. It, do you see, just to follow up, do you think there are any going to be any traditional, well, not traditional, but Chinese banks or, or a, other Asian banks following a, uh, a traditional shipping bank model where they'll actually do the loans and not own the assets? Is that something they're just not interested in? We're not seeing the Chinese banks so much in the uh, Western syndica syndicated loans, uh, but obviously locally in China and uh, in Asia, they're much more present. Okay. Does anybody else want to comment on that? I mean, I think you need to see the Chinese <coughs> lenders in the context of obviously initially supporting Chinese shipbuilding and other Chinese interests, and I think you also context of One Belt, One Road, or whatever it's called now. It's, it's a, it's a economic policy of the government that Chinese shipping companies should carry 15% of all China trade, and they're not quite there yet. So the banks are part of, if you like, fulfilling that long-standing objective. As we discussed on a similar panel in London a few weeks ago, the issue any Western ship owner has is at the point at which a Chinese lender or leasing company provides most of their capital, what happens to their relationships, their traditional relationships with Western banks? And that you know, raises some issues, cultural issues, if you like, around what happens when you need a waiver, what happens when you need an amendment. I don't think the Chinese banks will lend nearly as much as, say, the German banks did in the last 20 years. And I think it'll still be very much more tied to Chinese cargoes, Chinese ships, uh, and therefore, it will be an important contributor to, to the overall financing of the industry and the industry's infrastructure. Um, but I don't see it being a danger that, that we've seen from the last 20 years. Anybody else? I, I'm personally fascinated by the Chinese leasing product. It has emerged on the scene in a roaring way. Um, I'm very interested to see it tested through the cycle. Uh, in particular, they, they loaded up on a considerable amount of dry bulk and, and offshore assets, and uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see how that, uh, that plays out in terms of uh, working out a Chinese leasing product. Martin, any, any 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, what, what happens if you if you need a waiver? Who's going to pick up the phone and who is going up the chain? You know, asking somebody something to their board that is not going to add any revenues. That's culturally also a little different. Right. So still to be tested. And uh, shifting uh, shifting around to England, uh, I want to start with you, Michael. <laughs> what do you, how do you see Brexit affecting shipping banks? Do you see it uh, affecting shipping banks at all, or is it? I think you mean Britain, not England. <laughs> we had a legal referendum and we're still United Kingdom. I don't think, I mean, Brexit, I think, is fairly irrelevant, except for the fact that post-Brexit, the United Kingdom will sit separately in the IMO and not be part of the European Union group, and therefore have more influence as a seafaring nation, if you like, in the debates that go on at the IMO. And I think that is a big opportunity. The, the, the issue for the UK clearly um, is really making sure that its own whole maritime sector services and, and equipment, all those things, are, uh, are invested in heavily to help the UK trade with other people. But I, I don't think Brexit really has any relevance to the broader topic of shipping. Okay. And uh, shifting uh, uh, to uh, kind of the structure of loans, um, when I was kind of growing up in ship finance, uh, many of the loans that I worked on as a lawyer were, were syndicated loans, and I really don't see those anymore. Um, this past year, I've spent most of my time in restructurings. <laughs> Uh, and not many new deals. <clears throat> so um, I'm, I'm just wondering, and, and in the restructuring as I've seen, the banks fight among themselves a little bit occasionally. Um, and we didn't represent any banks, by the way. But um, do, you, do you think syndicated loans are completely gone? Is it just a reaction to the current stress in the market uh, and banks not wanting to kind of be behind the lead bank and, and having their interests suffer? Is, has there been a fundamental change in how, how loans are packaged these days? I think it's, as you suggested, clearly the reflection of the, the weak markets. Uh, many banks have exited the space. Uh, those who are still in are knowledgeable. Uh, they want to be part of the structuring of a deal. Uh, the, the typical syndicated loan, you would invite banks willing to more take a ticket, uh, rely uh, on the, the main banks. You don't have so many of these banks today, but when some of the banks who exited will come back again, I think they're clearly going to uh, restart the syndicated loan markets. And just you have large syndicated loans, but I would say all of them are large club deals, meaning that all the banks feel that they have a say uh, in the structure. In reality, what's really the difference between a syndicated loan and a large club deal? You still only have one agent bank. Uh, you have some banks taking a larger part of the process. So, yeah, you do have some kind of syndicated some, some, loans, okay. but not with the old-fashioned stuffies who would you know, never get go out of their office in a booking location somewhere. So. I think it's partly a function of um, the declining order book. I mean, the first half of the year, if you look at the geologic statistics, they're sort of very, very strange, but they're probably consistent that the year as a whole will be still lower than 2016. I agree with Francis, you've, you've had um, really syndicated loans are going on, but they're really in the form of clubs, whether they're in restructuring or new deals. 
Um, I'm, we're working on a number of large syndications that will come to market at some point in the next six months. So I think as the new order book rebuilds, hopefully mainly for replacement tonnage, so you'll see more syndications. But what is happening is that there is liquidity elsewhere in the market that may not come in the form of a traditional syndicate, but where banks are able, if you like, to raise additional liquidity through silent sub-participation and other means. So the investor, the, the, the bank, if you like, or quasi-bank quasi investor appetite for shipping is definitely picking up. But the, the, the straightforward syndicated loan has just been rather quiet this year. But I think it'll be back next year. Okay. The only thing I would add to that, I think there's something to be said. You, you mentioned uh, restructuring, and you've been working on a lot of restructurings. Uh, it's not clear to me that these mega bank syndicates uh, are good for owners when you get into a tough situation. Um, the markets are, are roaring ahead, and, and you need you know a billion dollars or a billion and a half. Yes, the syndicated loan is, is really one of the primary avenues to get that funded. But um, as we've seen uh, certainly in the last couple of years, when you have these large, unwieldy uh, syndicates, it's very challenging for borrowers to affect uh, amendment processes or uh, meaningful restructurings. It, it's actually a hindrance to many borrowers to do that. Um, whereas if you fund yourself through smaller club deals, uh, club syndicated deals, um, it, it's, it's easier to massage some type of amendment process or some type of tweak to the overall agreement. Martin, do you want to add anything? Well, nothing to add. I, I agree with that. I mean, okay. careful what you wish for. Uh, <laughs> there's, 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 there's not the number of large transactions in the market that we that we saw, you know, five, ten years ago. Uh, a lot more is uh, is 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 one-on-one -on -one bespoke, and 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 if there's a larger uh, uh, deal where one bank, you know, can't lift it, you you, you call a colleague and say, you guys want to join on this. It's is that kind of market at the moment. The part, part of the problem goes back to the conversation about regulators. DNB and Nordea were great examples of being willing to underwrite large positions in the past, and the pressure from regulators on large hold positions just makes it more difficult. Mm. Um, now, some of the restructuring has involved very large syndicates, particularly in the offshore space. But you know, I think going forward, shipping syndication has really always been about clubs. And the real question is, if we do, if, if Francis is right and the cycle reasserts itself and attracts a lot of other less specialized banks to come in, what will then happen? Well, historically what happened is they were often the first to leave, but also they were the ones who didn't understand what they had done and therefore created problems. So in, in a way we have potentially two problems. One is we'll have less, uh, less industry-focused banks coming back in, and we'll have smaller holds from the specialized banks because the regulators won't let them hold large positions. Mm. But I, I tend to be of the view that the large volume will tend to go more towards the capital markets as opposed to the bank market uh, as the industry uh, grows again. And uh, we've talked a little bit about the borrower side, and, and just uh, I'm just curious, uh, Everyone's reading about new container ships coming out with enormous TEU capacity. And uh, one, one question I have for the panel is, <clears throat> how do you view financing for uh, such a vessel? Does, it, does, it ch does the size, the, the, the sheer size of the, of the vessel and the fact that 
the number of users out in the market is if, if something came to pass where you had to sell it uh, as collateral. Um, does that affect your, your front-end lending? Well, I'm first out again. <laughs> uh, Just keep going down the way. Yes, we have security in, in vessels, uh, but we're not financing just the vessels. We finance ship owners, which for us is you know, the number one criteria. Who, who, who are you dealing with? Uh, so the question, what do we think about financing? Uh, 22, 26, 30,000 uh, TUs, whenever that happens. Uh, it depends for whom. Uh, if it's a, a large operator, he needs the vessels. Uh, maybe he has a good balance sheet as well. Of course, that's not an issue. If you're a tonnage provider today in, in the container space, you don't have any long-term employment. Uh, it's going to be difficult, and we're going to definitely focus much more on is it the right size or not. Uh, so the answer, yes, we're going to finance the big uh, vessels for the, the right people. Uh, I think container shipping, and if you look at Maersk's strategy, container shipping won't bother to use the word shipping in a few years' time because it's part of, it's part of a global supply chain business, and increasingly I think shipping will be thought of as businesses, not as ships. So we won't be talking about just the dry bulk sector. We'll be talking about something else, although that may be the one sector we do talk about. But it, it'll be different. Clearly, regulation has to take place on, in shipping through through uh, the, the assets in some way. But I think from a financing perspective, with consolidation in the container sector is, is the obvious one. The ships will get financed. They will be more predictable maybe in their value. We worry less about the asset. We will be focused on the earnings of the business. Uh, and so those sort of issues that were more important 10 years ago will be much less important now. There are safety issues about those sort of ships, which is a different thing. But from financing, it'll be financing the business, not the ship. Sort of a focus on the relationship with your customer. Well, that doesn't change. Right. Evan, I, I just uh, in the in the mid 2000s, there was you know so much focus on the the Panamax, the 4250s, and uh, there's a lot of banks that are. Uh, still holding an enormous amount of residual value risk on assets of those types, which are uh, uh, a trickier asset class today. Uh, I think if you're operating outside of the pure liner space, you need to really work on uh, minimizing your uh, residual risk on assets like that. Uh, I think the, the pace of change within the container uh, shipping space is, is quite rapid, and uh, it's hard to know if these 22,000 behemoths will be the ship of the future or it will revert back to, I don't know, a 10,000 uh, workhorse. It, it's quite unclear. Yeah, it's basically bank financing principle. If there's not a lot of liquidity in your, in your asset, you have to stay away from taking risk on that asset because you, you'll get it when nobody else wants it. That's, that's rule number one. So you have to be able to rely on, on your client, on their balance sheet, on their probability of default. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna, because uh, we're, getting, we're getting near the end here, um, turn to uh, an assessment of the, of the future of, of, of shipping banks. And uh, I was gonna ask this question initially, but I'm gonna ask it here at the end. Why is your, why is your bank in shipping? And, and for Martin, is your bank going to stay in shipping? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, there's, there's, uh, we, we also do aircraft finance. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, listen, we're, we're a very special animal. Uh, we do ship and aircraft finance only, so we, we, we live with the assets. Uh, I definitely think we're going to be staying in, uh, in shipping. Uh, that's not to say that there may be changes, maybe on the shareholder side. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of gossiping on that. I think I think people at DVB are far more relaxed because that's always been the case. Not many people know that, but there's always been talk of, okay, are you core to your parent company? Somebody else wants you. So in that respect, not a lot new. Um, listen, it is a it is an organization with with over 100 years of experience in this market, with, with people that have been there for a long time. Um, you can adjust your risk appetite uh, and, and still you know, have the people to, to go hunt for deals based on that new risk appetite. Because the players are still there, the, the industry needs capital, so you, you are a fantastic conduit to, uh, to do that. So yeah, we're gonna be there. Evan, I'm going to go in reverse order. Why, why is, why is DMB in shipping? Although it's almost. Well, I, I will take a minute for uh, a quick, you know, quick update at DNB. We've recently uh, reorganized uh, three of our most uh, prominent international uh, industries: uh, energy, shipping, offshore, and logistics, and actually seafood, into one uh, global industry called oceans. Uh, the oceans industries, and in part, it's uh, I think a next century vision of, uh, of Norway to, uh, to think about uh, how the oceans sustain us, what we're doing within the oceans. Uh, but shipping is uh, core to DNB's identity internationally. It's, it's part of the bank's uh, DNA. And uh, I think that the uh, implementation of this new oceans division, uh, particularly with the insight that we feel that we can gain from uh, our energy colleagues, understanding uh, energy uh, both up and down the value, uh, the value chain uh, will be even more powerful for our clients going forward. Michael? Um, City has been in shipping in modern sense for 70 years. City Bank through Walter Riston along with the old Chase Manhattan and David Rockefeller were really the founders of modern ship finance. And City was pretty well the only American bank in the late 80s to stay in the business. It went to the board of directors of Citicor who made a conscious decision, given the relationships we had around the world, that we should stay in the business. But we've had to adapt, obviously, as an American bank to the needs to fight for our share of the capital and also to make the right returns on that. So, so it's been a business that has evolved and, and obviously with the creation of Citigroup in 1998 also occurred at a time when really the second wave of uh, access to public markets, particularly equity markets, happen. So as an institution, we are, in our view, very well placed. And I have to go in front of senior management to justify what we're doing, particularly in a, in a period of crisis. We are, of course, the most global bank in the world, which also fits very well with an industry like shipping, which, of course, is the most global of all industries. What I feel is that the shipping industry is changing. City remains well placed for that, and so I expect us to remain in an industry that is really evolving into you know, one that will serve the 21st century industrial society very differently from what it was really in the 20th century. Um, and you know, that's, ex that's actually my 30 years in, in 
shipping in 40 years in city, I feel today is probably the most exciting time we've ever had in the shipping industry. A big yes for, for ABN. Uh, we, we are in shipping, we continue to be there, we want to, to grow. Um, we have also reorganized by adding logistics uh, to our transportation business because we think uh, not only that we should continue to grow on traditional shipping, but also on adjacent businesses like uh, port terminals uh, and other logistic services. Uh, why? Because I think I described that. I think it is attractive when you have fewer and fewer players uh, or basically alone sometimes on some, on some transactions. Uh, this is attractive. So. Uh, We've been in shipping for a few uh, centuries. Uh, we'll be there for a few more centuries, uh, for sure. Uh, well, I see we're out of time, so I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> uh, I'd like everybody to give a, a round of applause for the panel. Thank you.